Welcome to the Turquoise Coconut Podcast. In episode 12, we are talking to producer and mixing and mastering engineer Anik Sapa. Welcome to the Turquoise Coconut Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. Very impromptu session today, um, live from Forest Hill with Anik Thapa. Anik works a lot with Turquoise Coconut, and we're delighted to have him on board. Can you describe yourself? Tall, dark, <laughs> handsome. <laughs> Could you describe your, your artistic self? I wouldn't dare try and... <laughs> diminish my artistic work by trying to merely describe it in words. No, no pigeonholing it. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> pretentiousness aside, which is very hard for me to do, as you know, <laughs> I work as a sound designer for some people, designing musical sounds like sample packs and stuff for Loop Masters and Amplify Innovation. I also work with Ninja Tune on their Remix app. We're soon to launch version two coming in January with an all new kind of Paradigm shift and um, new content as well, which is going to be cool. What else? I also mix and master records. I mixed an album, uh, number one album last year, this year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. You can add some crowd applause here. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a very special kind of accidental thing that happened. And yeah, I have the, also the great pleasure of knowing great people like yourself comes with the the work which no one told me about <laughs> how did you get into what you do now do you mean like the work or how i got into music and stuff how did you get yeah how did you get into music and i get the impression you're quite a self-made man it was all kind of like because i failed at being in a band when i was really young i don't i'm not sure what happened first one of these two things happened first i saw back to the future and the bit when he blows up the guitar amp at the very start of the film, I was like, I want to do that for the rest of my <laughs> life. And also we were at a family friend's house and one of my earliest memories is him sitting with me on his lap and he puts his guitar on my lap and he's like taking my hands and sort of fretting the guitar and strumming and I'm just like, oh my God, I play guitar now. <laughs> yeah, so one of those things happened first. I forget which one. And then what really sealed the deal is my dad took my sister to get a classical guitar from Argus. Older sister. Older sister, eight years older than me. She got a classical guitar and I was, I didn't really know what was happening. And we were just in Argus and this guitar comes out and I'm like, what, what's going on? And she was like, oh, your sister's getting a guitar. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And they sort of, my parents sort of looked at each other and were like, do you, would you be interested in, and I'll be like, yeah, but not that shit. Like I want an electric guitar, like Marty McFly from Back to the Future. So, um, they got me this little starter kit, a little guitar amp, a little three-quarter size Fender Strat ripoff, and I was away. I, I needed lessons, but I didn't need lessons. Like I was having the greatest time just playing nonsense with it. Yeah. And I think that's definitely carried through with me to even to this day where I own a double bass. It's not here, but I own a double bass, and I've used it on countless sort of sample packs, and I've played it very convincingly without really playing it mm. and without having any lessons it's just sort of cheating i guess i just tune it to the song so you can't really play a wrong note and just go mad and just pretend i'm some avant-garde double bassist for 20 minutes and then you edit it later 
<laughs> and there's some gold in there somehow. But yeah, I got, got a guitar, got really into punk music when I was at school because the older kids were into it. And I, it, I sort of didn't really know how to get into cool music, what I thought was cool music. And literally walking into the music room at school, run by Mr. Dennis Elvie, shout out to Mr. Elvie and Miss Mitchell. Yeah, and uh, in the music room, all these older kids seemed to just have a thing going on where they knew the music, they had access to it, all this kind of stuff. I just didn't know how you would get access to it. How do you get a skateboard? Where do you go if you want a skateboard? Like, what for a suburban first generation Indian kid, like <laughs> skateboarding and rock and roll was not something that was a part of my everyday life. And nor did I know how it could be. And that opened the door. And then I just always wanted to be in a band after that. And it never really happened. And then I realized that like, oh, with a computer, I can sort of be the band on my own and started to sort of pursue that. And then mm -hmm. that led me deeper into music tech, just purely to try and figure out how it all works. And then here I am now with some music tech knowledge, some music knowledge somewhere in there, hopefully. Uh, a music degree, which I should probably hand back at this point. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting in your uh, studio in Forest Hill. It's beautiful. Why, thank you. It's a very, uh, very ambient spot. Yeah. Um, four guitars, or three guitars and a bass guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, survivors of recent trauma. Yeah, yeah. what Johnny's uh, alluring to there is we recently, or in April, our house and my home studio burnt down and we had to rescue all the gear and all the people and everything and um, here we are now in the new digs. It's fine. Everything sort of turned out okay. Yeah. I'm forever, forever the uh, disillusioned optimist. <laughs> what was it? Pathologically optimistic is <laughs> one of my friends described me once. <laughs> it's definitely the right pathology. I think, I think it's apt. Be, yeah. yeah. To have. On the guitar you've got one of those tuner Oh uh, man. What device uh, is that? Oh, okay. So that, what Johnny's pointing at is what's called the spider capo. This thing is revolutionary for me. Um, my very, very dear friend, Tom, who I absolutely love to bits, he bought this for me. He saw it on Instagram <laughs> and got it. It's the new and Amazon. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, he is definitely a proponent for like, yeah, there's loads of cheap crap on Instagram, but every now and then there's a little, a little nugget of gold. <laughs> and he got this for me and I can't live without it now. And it lives on that guitar and it lives in that position and it lives with that setting. So the way a spider capo works is you have this capo that you put on your guitar and each string has like, what would you call those? A prong. Yeah. So you can capo, you can choose which strings to capo. But the capo is always in, in a, a position across the one fret, mm -hmm. but you can choose which strings so you'll get some open strings through the capo. Exactly. Strings, yeah. It? And at the moment I've got it, I found this setting for it, or I guess preset, I don't know what we, we call it actually. This is how setting. far removed I am from acoustic music. <laughs> <laughs> so let's call it a capo preset. Um, the way I've sort of discovered it and why I will never let anyone take it off or change it, because I need to write down what the strings, what the notes are now. Um, it seems to be in the key of every song by this band that I absolutely love. Which are? They're called Native. And there's native. two Natives. There's the jazz band. It's yeah. not the jazz band. It's the, the Seattle hardcore band or something. They have a fantastic sound, a fantastic mood to their music. It's very, oh, I don't want to say dark because there's, there's loads of rock music that's dark, but this is very winter, cold, very industrial. You really get the feeling 
you really get the sense of actually of people growing up in a concrete jungle that is probably like cold a lot of the time and void of any kind of human empathy. <laughs> Very oppressive. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It just sounds like that. And I don't know yeah. if they've grown up in that environment actually, but that's what it sounds like to me. And I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so miserable, <laughs> but not in, in a very kind of thoughtful way. Mm. It's not just like sad music. Right. It's really interesting. That sounds great. And I love the sound of the guitars and I love the sound of the drums and I love, just love their music. I absolutely love it. And I've loved it for the last four or five years, ever since my friend Adam Chetty showed them to me. Thank you for that, Adam. It's like, you know, I've never regretted it. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to that band. Never gone back. Can I, can I strum that chord? Please, yeah, open it up. Oh my God, again. Should we plug it in? Should we plug it in? <laughs> I mean, why not? Just for the... Uh, That's what we do here, right? Uh, take it away. I think that maybe ought to become the turquoise coconut jingle, actually. <laughs> We've just been having some interesting conversations before we turn the mics on. I think one that stuck out to me was danger sound. Danger sound, could yes. You, could you just tell our listeners what you were telling me was, about okay, stacks, yeah. of, stacks of speakers? So I heard this piece of information. Um, I think it was from the book Sonic Warfare by Code 9. It might not have been. And actually, that reminds me, we have to read some of those reviews. We'll, we'll read a review. <laughs> we will. Um, so if you imagine you're in a field, maybe not a field, maybe actually an, an anechoic chamber. Let's say you have one of those old, you, see, you know, when you go to festivals sort of 10 years ago, these days you have sort of line arrays and subs. But back then I more commonly saw big stacks of PA speakers. I think if you are standing in front of one of those, and it plays a certain pulse of air, a pulse of sound, because of the way sound waves work, it will compress the air and then it will expand. And that compression expansion wave is what moves through the air. So at some point it will compress the air where you are standing and then it will expand that air. And then that will void your lungs of any air and they will collapse and you'll die because they <laughs> can't be reinflated. So imagine just you're standing perfectly normal where air is displaced equally in the, as a gas sort of in the room and then suddenly the speaker pushes a blast of compressed air basically through you 
So at some point, there's loads of air where you're standing, and then at some point, it, the pressure change is so vast that your lungs just <laughs> collapse. So I think that's very, very interesting. I think it's interesting. It's also horrifying. It's very horrifying. And I'm never going to stand in front of a speaker ever again. That reminded me of the story I heard about, I think it was sperm whales. They're one of their, one of their vocalizations is a click when they're communicating with each other. And they can click over vast distances of hundred, hundreds of miles or something like that. But if you're close enough to one, particularly if you're Actually, touching one... sorry, much further than that. Yeah? Quick story, Chris Watson, BBC sound recordist, nature sound recordist, also for um, the excellent Attenborough brother. Uh, David. Earth, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, David, that's the one. He once told me at a, at a talk that the sound of an orca can echo around the world for, I think, I will have a gracious note on my phone about this. I think once seven times or something, but it can wow. echo around the world. They can communicate around the other side of the planet. Of yeah, and also, they were his one of his favourite animals because that the planet is like seventy percent water, and mm -hmm. they are the king and queen. They are the, the masters of the oceans, and we pay twenty percent tax, so they win. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said. Very good. His favourite sound. I also asked him what one of the hardest sounds he ever had to record, and I think it was Newcastle scoring a goal. I think really? he, had, he had to go to two or three different football matches just to get the crowd cheering for Newcastle. Was it because they didn't score a goal? They couldn't score a goal. Wow. That's a very... Chris Watson, here we go. Very practical. Newcastle, yeah. What is the hardest sound you ever had to record was Newcastle scoring a goal. Had to go to three different games. He also said it was unethical to play back nature sounds. Why is that? Because it can really fuck with the animals and the environment. So if you were to, say, take the sound of a tiger mm -hmm. and play it in the Amazon jungle somewhere... Obviously, you're going to incite intense anxiety into anyone mm. anything hearing that. Or if they're not familiar with it, if you play the sound of a tiger to, say, some kind of undomesticated wild cat from just, like, in the streets, they might absolutely shit a brick. Or, yeah, other animals. Anyway, sorry to interrupt on, you. It's such no, a No, on that note, there's an installation either on at the moment or about to start at Somerset House in London where they're playing the sounds of birds from the dawn chorus, but then playing also synthetically created. Where are they playing it? Inside? In, I think inside, or maybe in the grounds of the building. But they're also playing computer-generated, AI-generated bird sounds at the same time. So that you, I think, so that you hear sort of the juxtaposition of the organic. It's an AI showing off, really, isn't it? Something like yeah, that. Look at me, with all my millions and millions of gigabytes of data yeah. to help me mimic birds. Still doesn't get them very far. No, I mean, it won't get them a Grammy. I mean, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. The whales can yes. kill you. Yeah, so you had a great story. Of, well, that was it. Yeah. Well, if no, you get too you, close. there was more to that. You said there was someone who got paralysed because they yeah, were... Yeah, well, according to the, uh, the interweb, which usually tells the truth, you get, <laughs> there was a video of people swimming with these whales and um, they were very close and you're not supposed to get too close because the... The clicking can really damage you, if not kill you. So it's so loud that it can just, it can kill Supposedly you. Supposedly it can kill you. I don't know how, exactly how. But well, I guess the force certainly deafen you. Because yeah, well, it's a click, it's a big instant impulse. So it's almost like being punched yeah. by a fist the size of your body. Especially or in water. Yeah, from all angles, yeah. I guess. But well, I've not spent a lot of time underwater. Like, and I mean, by underwater, I mean like scuba diving or anything yeah. like that. I've never yeah. done any kind of diving. Yeah. Actually, no, I did like snorkel diving. That's not really the same. 
More than I've done. <laughs> um, yeah, there was, a sh uh, there was some footage of someone swimming with them, and I think I'd read in, in their description of it how amazing it was, but that it, they had, this creature had clicked whilst it was near, and one of their arms had been kind of knocked out of action. I wonder if it, did it not hurt their ears or anything? Probably did. Wow. So uh, be careful when you're swimming with whales. Who have been some of your favourite people to work with? You, by far. Plug. Definitely. <laughs> um, so a couple of years ago, Johnny came over. Sorry, I'm probably the only person that calls you Johnny. I'm That's sorry, okay. I sort of have to do it now. Go for it. <laughs> um, Johnny came over, uh, he owed me a favour, so he came to play some violin on some music that I was working on. And it was actually a sample pack for Novation, now called Amplify for their Blocks Wave music app for iPad and iOS and stuff. And I had played some piano. My friend Freddie Hills had played some drums. I'd recorded that. I played some double bass on it. And I was like, this would probably be great with some violin on it. So Johnny comes over, having never heard the music before, because he's a fantastic musician like that. And I just gave it to him on some headphones and hit record. And I think a couple of times I was just like, this is two passes, just do what you want. And as he was playing, something changed in me. I was just like, I should say, I should talk to you, shouldn't I? As you were playing, <laughs> something happened. It's something I'd never really felt before, but like, I thought what I'd written was good. And then when you started playing on it, I was like, oh my God, this is so much better than I could ever have imagined. And like, all I had to do was get other people to play on it. <laughs> but not just any other people, like, mm. Freddie is one of my favourite drummers on the planet. Um, I've known him since I lived in Brighton. That's Freddie Hills. Freddie Hills, yeah. yeah. And we used to jam together. And he has a way of voicing on the drums and a way of phrasing and composing on them that I just I can't seem to find anywhere else. There are so many great drummers out there, but Freddie has a very, I, I think, a very, very unique voice in the kind of jazz, rock. Yeah, I don't want to pigeonholing too much genre-wise, but his playing is very, a great amalgama amalgamation of like linear drumming and jazz drumming and more percussion-based kind of stuff with the way he moves around the cymbals and stuff. And um, yeah, when Johnny was playing, when you were playing violin, I was just, it just, this piece of music became a movie in my head. And I think you did two takes freeballing it and I was like okay we just need a few more things just to fill out with like some tremolos and some more uh, flautando ponticello kind of ricochets and stuff yeah absolutely brilliant stuff um so for that reason yeah you and Freddie definitely two of the best people I've had the pleasure of working with um that's very sweet that piece is called Tundra it's available at the moment only through exclusively through the Amplify um there is a music video with a dancer is that right it was, or, oh, uh, actually, it was used by the, a dancer for the Royal Ballet on one of their pieces, which is pretty cool. That's also really nice to have happened. Um, you can hear it on my SoundCloud. If you go to soundcloud.com slash Anique, A-N-E-E-K, and search for Tundra. Even if you go to Google and type Anique Tundra, you'll, you'll find this thing. Um, it was brilliantly named by my friend at Novation, Tom Smeaton, who I mentioned earlier, who bought me the capo. He's, he's actually... Uh, He's left now, he's doing his own thing. Yeah, he also made a really short kind of promo video clip of just frozen tundra, mm. of the ice breaking apart into the ocean. I was just, oh, wow. Very topical yeah. at the moment. It's just, yeah. it's just a, 
it's a feeling I've never had before. Mm. I just, I felt like this is what I live for. This is it. This is why I do this. To work with great people, to, to make music that I thought I could never make. And I literally, I remember as I was, as I was putting the piano down while Freddie was playing the drums, I was like, I've dreamed of making music like this. I literally dreamed of it. And I thought I'd never do it. I, I thought I'd never be able to. But thanks to technology, I can. Mm. Thanks to Ableton Push and some of the great sound libraries and stuff available, I'm able to play music that other people had to work really hard to do. <laughs> no. um, but yeah, I'm able to sort of get my ideas out. And I think that's just to segue very briefly onto the beauty of technology these days. It's like, mm. good. I'm glad it makes it easy. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Just because some people had to struggle doesn't mean everyone has to. That's true. It's part of the democratisation of music is that now innovation can come from someone in a bedroom. A 13-year-old in a bedroom can lead the way for music for the next couple of years. It doesn't have to come out of an academy. It doesn't have to come out of um, a seasoned veteran. Mm. You know, It doesn't have to come out of even a scene mm. or a group effort. I mean, like hip-hop, you know, something like that, like a group effort. It's like, this is just one person alone in their bedroom. Yeah. Can change the course of music forever. Mm. Burial is a good example of that. <laughs> Another person I love working with um, is my dear friend, Ryan West, aka Rival Consoles. I just mastered um, an hour and 20 minutes of music of his for a new dance composition, uh, a music he's composed for a dance called Overflow, which will be premiering, I think it's premiering now, and it will be at Saddle as Wells next year. April 17th and 18th. I think it's okay for me to say that. <laughs> but that was that was on Wednesday that I mastered that and that was what a wonderful day. What a wonderful Wednesday just in the middle of a week in the you know end of the year kind of thing. I got to listen to an, an excellent hour and 20 music, minutes of music from a really good friend of mine, someone I really admire. Um who lives just down the road. He's got he's had a great career so far and I hope it continues for him. It'd be nice if his snares didn't sound so shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an ongoing, ongoing debate. There's an ongoing there. joke, yeah. yeah. Um, we want to go back to Code 9 and this book. Oh, yes, the Sonic Warfare book. Code 9 runs a label called Hyperdub. Hyperdub, yeah. Hyperdub, which used to put out, or still does put out, <coughs> Burial's music. Burial being a, a very popular sort of un underground producer yeah. in the early noughties. A shining light for what can be achieved with nothing but good ideas. A really, really specific, unique sound. This is uh, from the Amazon page. Okay, uh, the reviews not, for Code 9 Sonic Warfare. Yes, we don't endorse Amazon. Uh, this is not any kind of advertising. This is purely for... Fuck uh, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> pay your taxes, Amazon. This is purely for um, podcast interest. So... Sonic Warfare, Sound, Effect, and the Ecology of Fear. What do you think the book's about, just from reading that? Well, up until we get to Effect, I'm kind of thinking, okay, maybe this is about those weird military operations where they're using sound waves to disable people. You know, there was a movie, I think it was called Eraser, decades ago. What, with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and they had... Guns that could shoot through walls. Wow. And I think essentially what they were was sound wave guns. Wow. And this is supposedly a military grade weapon type now. If you really want to hurt someone through sound, just play them my music. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a nice chat about brown noise um, and the, the dangers of note. sub earlier. 
Avengers are sub-frequency. Anyway, sonic warfare, sound effect, and the ecology of fear. That sort of makes me think that the sound part of this is rather more abstract than is being let on. This is to, <laughs> to give you a brief product description. An exploration of the production, transmission, and mutation of effective tonality when effective sound... Effective tonality. Effective tonality. When sound helps produce a bad vibe. Mm. Sound can be deployed to produce discomfort, express a threat, or create an ambience of fear or dread to produce a bad vibe. Well, that's true, because Mark from Peep Show once said... Was it Mark or Jez? The longer the note, the more dread. He's There's right. some truth in that. They're correct. Um, okay, let's, let's skip down to some of the reviews. So, <laughs> Neither of us has read this in its, in its entirety, so we're purely interested in the yeah. feedback at the moment. Because so, we saw that it was only three stars. It's only three stars, and the, <laughs> although we all know that Amazon can be a little obscure about this, these things, you know, you still want to go down and have a quick look to decide. So Digiboy Design on the 2nd of February 2013 says, Great guy, interesting read, four stars. Verified Excellent. purchase. Verified, there verified. we go, he exists. It's not verified that he read it, but... <laughs> um, I found the book engrossing and enjoyed the storytelling edge it has. Great sense of dread and a great depth on knowledge. Good work, Steve. Sounds like they might know each other. They might do. They might Good work, Steve. And here we go, here, here comes the first damning review. Francesco Gentile. Let's not reveal identities. Well, if you put it out there on Amazon... Fair enough. I'm, You're you absolutely yourself, right. I'm it's public domain now, Francesco. 14th, <laughs> 14th of October 2012. One star. Ooh. Title, a shame. Oh. And here we go. It sounds like a book in itself. I'll just read one review because we don't want to spend too long um, dismantling this book. Because we should read it before there we were, have an opinion. There was a few good ones. <laughs> this book is a shame on several grounds. Number one, it fails to state what the book is about. The notion of sonic warfare is only impressionistically sketched without any attempt whatsoever to offer a scientific or even philosophical analysis of what the concept is supposed to mean. That's, Num a, fan that's a fantastic review. <laughs> Number two, words are assembled without any structure and conceptual organisation. It is like it has been written using a post-modernist generator. I'd love one of those. You need a post-postmodernist generator now. <laughs> Number three, it is sad that a respectable university like Warwick gave to this guy a PhD in philo philosophy... I'm basing my knowledge on Wikipedia here. Number four, likewise, it is sad to apprehend that a mediocre dissertation has been published by the MIT Press. Wow. However, here's a caveat. The, this book has, however, a merit. It clearly shows the status of the research within media culture and the like. It may also serve the purpose of warning young researcher, researchers in this field against the easy way of doing research, namely cheating by cutting and pasting thoughts from other authors authors and pretending that the resulting collage is a good piece of academic work. Oh my goodness, that is a, a fantastic review. <sighs> so You can tell that's an honest review by someone who was really wanting to enjoy the book and wanting mm. more from it. A lot was promised to this person. There's real disillusionment deliver. there. Yeah. <laughs> the first cut is the deepest. <laughs> There's a fantastic line in this film called The Kings of Summer, which you must watch. It's a brilliant independent comedy, sort of American coming-of-age movie. And there's a couple of kids, they're lost in a forest and I think they hear the sound of a bear and they're like, oh my God, what do we do? And one of the kids says, we should try to disillusion him. And it's like, why? It's like a bear that is confused poses less of a threat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just absolutely fantastic. Perfect, yeah. Who have some of your influences been 
I know one of them you've just been sharing with me is Colin Stetson. Oh, Colin Stetson's a fantastic artist, yeah. You obviously get a lot of joy out of... So much joy. I love the idea of taking instruments far beyond what they were ever intended for. And I think it's exactly what he's doing. Could you describe what it is that he does for people who so aren't familiar he, with him? He plays a, couple, a, a few different types of saxophone from very normal to very large and completely amazing and extraordinary he has many contact mics all over his saxophone so it pick up it pick ups the uh picks up picks up the <laughs> uh percussive nature of the keys and he really exagger exaggerates that to be um drums and percussion and slams and impacts and stuff like that and that is incredible and he has a throat mic so he can hum and sh sort of scream over the top of it um, he's constantly circular breathing through these instruments as well. He's incredibly fit. Oh my God, it looks like he could scale Everest in a single bound. Whilst playing the saxophone. Whilst playing saxophone and circular breathing. Um, and it's incredible. The, the range of tones, emotions, the amount of aggression and kind of industrial, noisy, kind of textural onslaught you can get from this right and also on the other extreme a very warm cozy cinematic kind of feel from it as well it's just it's incredible i really urge anyone who has the opportunity to go see him live to do it and if you can't listen to his track uh it's actually a cover by of a fink song called warm shadows and it features him and justin vernon so warm shadows by fink but the Justin Vernon, the Bon, the Bon Iver, Bon Iver cover, is fantastic. He's great. Uh, also, Tim Hecker and Ben Frost. I have not stopped listening to them for ten years now. I can't, I can't stop. Every day I have to listen to some music by at least one of those two. They just make the best textural music. Uh, it's, I, I would call it kind of avant-garde, but I'm sure people out there will laugh at that. <laughs> Um, but it's very soundscapey. It's very textural. It can be very noisy and aggressive. I find it very thoughtful and provocative and evocative. Um, I just really, really enjoy it. I was into a lot of hardcore music and math rock for a period of, of my time. Um, I found that very influential, especially with my guitar playing. The whole finger tapping thing was something I was very, very into. I guess my friend Ryan, his music is, influences me, definitely. Remind us of the name. Rival consoles. Rival consoles. Yeah, it's hard yeah. not to be influenced by your friends who are really good at what they do. <laughs> mm. um, because, you know, especially if you get to work on their stuff. Like, I listened to an hour and 20 minutes of it several times in a row the other day. <laughs> and it, it was all great. So yeah. that's, that's in there. You get to know it all really well. Yeah. But also, I want to give a shout out to Mammal Hands. Mm. Uh, it turns out we went to the same uni. Um, you didn't know that? Years apart. Here's a funny story. So me and Ryan, I was I was doing a gig with Rival Consoles at Strawberry Fair a few years ago in Cambridge. And there's a, a, a duo of brothers playing. They were called Sunder Arc. And they did a set and it was really great. And we spoke to them afterwards. And it turns out one of them was at De Montfort University studying the same course that both Ryan and I had studied. We went to the same uni, De Montfort University. Shout out to the MTI Music Technology and Innovation crew at De Montfort University. The staff, excellent. Well done to those guys for running such a great course. So it turns out he was there studying the same course. And then he must have been in his first year because I went back a couple of years later to give a lecture as a, as a guest sort of alumni. And he was in the audience. And it was amazing to see this guy, um, Nick Smart. 
his, him and his brother were in uh, our Sunder arc together. They are also in a band with Jesse, who plays drums, called Mammal Hands. I absolutely fell in love with their music without having any idea that these two brothers were in the band. Absolutely fell in love with them. Also fell in love with Go Go Penguin, kind of a similar ilk, kind of contemporary crossover jazz. So absolutely sessioning their music for months and months and months. And then I made Tundra, because obviously I just had to rip them off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're massively influential. And then we went to go see Mammal Hands live after I'd made Tundra. And who's fucking playing piano? Nick fucking smart and I'm like oh my god dude I'm like telling Lara I'm screaming at Lara going oh my god that's the guy that's the guy she's like what guy and I'm like I played a gig with Ryan he he did a set he was amazing and then I went to uni and he was in the audience and we got the same course and now he's on fucking stage and that's his brother on the sack oh my god this is incredible like couldn't believe it it's just what a world yeah <laughs> or what an idiot I am for not knowing that in advance so um, much joy here it's so great. much joy yeah well so they're fantastic. Gaga Penguins and Mama Had, they definitely influenced me. Um, bon Iver's last album, not this one, but the one before it, 22 A Million or something like that. Uh, that's a fantastic album that had influence on me. Lapa Lux's music, I've always enjoyed. I think it's influenced me. Um, I want to say Dillinger Escape Plan, Sigaross, Explosions in the Sky, obviously Aphex Twin and Bjork and Square Pusher and the IDM stuff. Big shout out to Kerry Lambert and Ray Green. If they ever listen to this, they definitely shaped me as a musician or as a music or they introduced me to so much music that just changed me as a person and as, as an artist definitely uh oded sir so oded o-d-e-d his last name is t-z-u-r uh-huh. there's a album called translator's notes or an ep i should say him keep a pianist a double bassist and a drummer the drummer engineered the whole and mixed the whole thing and oh my god is it finest thing I've ever heard in my life it is the best sounding acoustic record I can think of I absolutely adore it the sound of the drums is incredible the piano the bass phenomenal the 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 horn brilliant go listen to that translator's notes by Oded Tsur okay that Uh, was a recommendation from iTunes music Apple ah. music which shocked me yeah. Not that I'd ever really explored all that stuff, but I was like, I want to listen to some jazz. What's Apple got for me mm, today? And okay. I put it on. It was like the first track. And I, I bought you, the album immediately. You might have played some to me in the car. Yes, maybe, perhaps. From, driving from Wales to Congleton. Speaking of, I remember this drive. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Driving yeah. from Giant Wafer Studios in Landrindod, Wales. Wow, to well remembered. I think it was Land, Land, Landrindod. That's convincing me. I think, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was that place. Amazing. Also, I think we tried to listen to on that drive is something that influenced me beyond anything else. Steve Reich's music for 18 musicians. Mm. That's going to be played at my funeral in full. You will have to endure a full hour of my festering corpse. <laughs> no, but that <laughs> now is it's a, documented. Yeah. That's, a, that's a piece of music that yeah. I found on, on, on my own. Have you seen it live? About 50 times. I, I, I think I see it at least once a year. On average, sometimes I've seen it two or three times in a year. Mm. Yeah, so Steve Wright, I remember I was on Amazon years and years and years ago. This was a long time ago. I must have been 16. Just heard Sigaross at a Reading Festival. I'd never heard music like that before. I was like, wow, I didn't realise it could be so beautiful and heavenly, yet so organic and macabre and everything. Uh, macabre? Macabre. Macabre. I prefer my way of saying it. <laughs> in fact, from now on, macabre. 
<laughs> as long as you really believe in your delivery. Yeah, macabre. You can say whatever you want. Sounds like a detective. So I was buying the Sigaross album that I needed to buy, which was brackets or it's called Untitled or whatever. I'm glad that you say that I needed to buy. I need, is, of course. This is how I feel about albums. Yeah. Oh, that, Absolutely. John, you just bought... Yeah, but I, I need to buy yeah. this. Oh, no. I, heard, I mean, you haven't heard this. I heard this album on a cassette on a boombox in wow. the Reading Festival campsite at God knows I what. think most of our listeners are probably not going to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Time so, is moving. So it's like, you know, you get like a Bluetooth portable speaker. Imagine that, but way bigger that plays cassettes. So <laughs> Little boxes with maybe tape in them. Actually, maybe it was CD by this point. Let's go know. with tape. It's a Let's much more romantic tape. picture. Um, these guys I was camping with, they played it to me and I was like this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard so I you know when I got back and recovered I went on Amazon and I bought it and when I clicked on to buy it it was like people who bought this also bought this Steve writes music for 80 musicians amazing so I just clicked on it I just yeah. bought it yeah. and then at this point in my musical sort of trajectory I had gotten into Dillinger Escape Plan which is very extreme math rock math core Aphex Twin which is like my mm. friend Kerry who showed it to Dillinger to me it was like Aphex Twin's like the Dillinger of electronic music. Yeah. Or or he played me Aphex Twin first and was like, Dillinger's like the Aphex Twin of rock music. <laughs> Can I tell you some trivia? Please. A bit of trivium. Trivium. Is that right? A trivium. A trivium. Some trivia? A trivium? I believe so. Let's go with that. Okay. Some, can I tell you a trivium? Please. About Aphex Twin? You probably already know this, but he's called Aphex Twin because he was a twin, but his, his twin brother died at birth. Yes, I only found that out okay. a couple of days ago. So at college, I heard this from a tutor. Yeah. And I couldn't find the, I couldn't find which one it was because there's another part to it where Aphex means something as well. AP right. is like the posted address or hex is the post or something like that. It's okay. it really means something. Interesting. Fantastic. Thanks for validating that because I've been wondering for years if it's true. I'm trying to remember who told that told me that. Um, I hope it wasn't me. <laughs> no, it was it was only a couple of days ago in the car. So anyway, Sorry, carry on. So yeah. Aphex Twin, Dillinger Escape Plan. My friend Ray had played me King Crimson. So that that's and Sigaross. So very extremes. Okay, Sigaross, extremely ambient, minimalist. Well, yeah, you could argue. Um, Icelandic, sort of beautiful music. Uh, Aphex Twin, Square Pusher, and Dillinger, very frantic, very extreme, very technical, very clever. Mm -hmm. King Crimson predates all of it by about 40 years, sort of the 60s, 70s, and kind of the same kind of thing, very proggy, very mathy. Lots of five over four, five over three, seven, four, seven, eight, you know, kind of stuff like that. So I get home, I get the CD. It's a beautiful day. The Sigur Ross CD. This, I get the Sigur Ross CD de de delivered. Yeah. And also with it is the uh, Steve, Reich. Steve Reich CD. And I look at the cover and I'm like, whoa, this is, this is nuts. This is like, looks crazy. So I put it in, I hit play. And the first thing that happens, I'm like, I'm compelled immediately at this. As soon as I heard it... This was the Steve Rice. Steve, Music for 80 Musicians. As soon as it started playing, I knew it was meant to be. I knew this was a part of my life. I knew this is... I want to say happened before. I don't know, that's a weird feeling, but I knew this was... It was meant to be. Like, yeah. straight away. I'm getting tears in my eyes thinking this. Um, <laughs> and as it developed over time, I was just listening to it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. Like, it's real instruments, I can tell. Obviously, it's 18 people playing this. And it just, it was glorious. I'd never heard music like it before in my life. I th so I thought. And then as it went past the first movement into the second, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is like math rock. This is like technical and mathy and clever and contrapuntal and interconnected and polyphonic and everything and polyrhythmic. And 
I was amazed by it. And my brain, within a split second, went like, it's King Crimson. It's Sigaross. It's it's all of this stuff in one. And then I picked up the CD and looked at the date and it was like fucking 1967 or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what is this? It's like, and I listened to the, and then I looked at the CD player and it said, time remaining 58 minutes. And I was just like, it's one track. My mind exploded at that point. And I was like, art is everything. There are no rules. Everything can be beautiful. It can be complicated and beautiful. It can be simple and ugly. It can just be everything and, oh, amazing. And then years later, I'm at university and we have a module called Perspectives and the tutor's like, today we're going to talk about minimalism. Can anyone name any minimalist composers or music? I'll and I, your hand. And I put my hand up and I was like, Sigaross? And they was like, a few people were like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. And then someone else said, Steve Reich? And I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, Steve Reich. And I was like, what, like music for 18 musicians? And they're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely that. And I'm like, oh my God, what? <laughs> you know it? <laughs> You've heard of it? <laughs> I thought it was just some like underground, I don't know. I thought, <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, people know it. People have heard of it. People know this guy. And then listen, man, this course, we studied Steve Reich. I got to study this guy only for like a week or something, but... It was incredible. This was meant to be. Mm. I was meant to do this. I was mm. meant to listen to Steve Reich. I was meant to come to university and study what I studied and where I studied. It was like, oh my God. I hope I do something with this gift. <laughs> that's not a gift, really. I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful story. There's been a few times in my life where I've been trying to make some, a kind of music that I didn't think existed. And I was trying really hard to do it. And then I have come across someone else who has made it, has been making it for ages, and is massively successful and popular at doing it. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm not listening to enough music? Because I'm having the same ideas as these other people have because we're listening to the same music. We're arriving to the same conclusions. Yeah. But maybe I'm hearing just such a small... My funnel is so small that like I'm just not getting... The fact that I think it doesn't exist is pretty arrogant and ignorant at the same time, really. Yeah. Well, I was young, though. Forgive me. <laughs> we only have so much time. It's true. But uh, as someone who's the kind of musician that you are, meaning that you're classically trained and you do jazz and you can do avant-garde and improv and you can do pedal board stuff, it's like you must have experienced this at some point. Yeah, definitely. All the time. Not necessarily with a specific sound that I have imagined mm. but just discovering things that I had no idea exist mm. and I still get that having spent you know most of the years of my life just listening to music all different types of music and, yeah. and now having access to Spotify and, and uh, YouTube and Facebook and all that stuff I'm forever getting things directed at me that I had no idea about or yeah. things that are put together that I had no idea about but that's kind of the beauty of it yeah the beauty of always being surprised. <laughs> yeah. Because there are as many people as there are on the planet, there will be as many ways of expressing yourself musically. I mean, that's so true. Seven billion plus. Yeah. Yeah. It's never going to get boring as long as people are doing it because they want to express themselves. There was something we spoke about earlier of yeah. where when you find something new that you really like and all you want, all that you can think of is, I want to find more music like this or more thing art like this. 
and you go on a hunt and you can't find anything that's such a killer that mm. sometimes that lasts months for me where I'm like I don't care about any other music people play me stuff and I'm like I'm not interested is it like this no okay I don't care <laughs> nothing ridiculous. nothing sounds quite as good anymore yeah it's like am I am I autistic because of that like I don't <laughs> like is that I think it probably happens with other art forms as well you read, so read a book by you just read an excellent book and yeah. you're just so amazed and you want to find that somewhere else and there's just nothing like that Mm. I felt that way about um, Stephen Erickson, Stephen Erickson's series of books called um, The Malazan Book of the Fallen. First one's called Gardens of the Moon. I think it's 10 volumes, but I've just never read anything like it. Extraordinary writing, extraordinary imagery. I'm going to write this down. Amazing narrative and development and extraordinary writing and so philosophical at, at its root. It was devastating to finish it. And I've read a few other fiction um, sagas since then on the rec- going through trawling the internet going, what's like this? What's like this? Fancy fans, are you out there? What's like this? I've tried them all and nothing's quite tickled me the same way. Yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm excited about going back to it, but I'm sad that I don't know if I'll ever find anything like that ever again. This is one of the reasons I love Facebook. There are some... So many great Facebook groups out there where you can go and just be like, play a song or show a piece of art or something and be like, I, I, I just want to find more stuff like this, please. And someone will just go, here you go. Here's a list I made. <laughs> I did this about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, this is what yeah. someone told me. Yeah, I went through this 10 years ago also. And here you go. This is all you need. By like, the way, in five years, this is how you're going to feel. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. I love like when... Someone sees where you are in a de- developmental stage of something in your life and they're like, hey man, or hey, hey, you know, it's going to, this is how it's going to go. Okay, first of all, you're going to get really into this and you're going to absolutely love it. And then you'll hear this and it will make you be like, how did I ever like that shit? This is way better. Yeah. <laughs> I had an, have an experience like that with an ex-partner of mine who was always playing this music at me that I kind of liked and I was getting into, and, but I'd never heard any of it before. And thinking, oh, some of this is a bit, you know, it's a bit out there. And then five years later, when we were, were no longer together, I'm, I'm now listening to all that music. <laughs> I'm now discovering, going, oh my goodness, she knew all this stuff and yeah. I didn't get it. And now here I am. Yeah. It's amazing. It just, it's crazy, isn't it's it? It's brilliant. It's definitely happened with like some friends of mine who've been in bands and I've been like, you know, I don't really like what you guys are doing. And they're like, you'll get it one day. Yeah, don't worry, it's fine. Yeah, that's, that was their answer to it. It wasn't like oh, fuck you, you hate my music. Oh, screw you. It's like, oh, you'll get it. You'll get it later. I'm definitely going to save that one for gigs now if, or for people <laughs> reviewing my music saying, yeah, I'm not really into this. Oh, don't worry, it's fine. Oh, you'll get it later. No, no, yeah. it's, it's kind it, of, give, it, give it time. It's kind of politely condescending. Well, it's like one day you'll yeah, understand. You'll, you'll get it. Yeah. Do you know what my f- biggest example of that is? Um, I had a, ver- uh, a friend who I st- is still a very good friend of mine. We grew up together at school and spent a long, lot of time together. We used to play music together and... He was always bringing bands around and I just yeah. didn't get any of it. He bought me my first Rage Against the Machine album. Wow. Um, Fugazi. Oh. Um, Sonic Youth. Never really got into them. I still haven't got into Sonic Youth so much, but we used to play covers of these people. And I just, I didn't get any of it. Smashing Pumpkins was wow. another one. Yeah. And I was listening to stuff like Nickelback and Dash Straits. He introduced me to Pearl Jam. Wow. And I just didn't, Pearl Jam awesome. I didn't like it. Really? He played me like Evenflow and I just thought, eh, oh. I don't care. And then years later, years later, I was watching Kerrang! 
Do you remember Kerrang! <laughs> as a channel? Are, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Either Kerrang! or MTV, and on came Pearl Jam, Jeremy. Oh, man. The music video. And Ugh, what a video. It was one of those moments where... You got it. Just in the, you know, the middle of the day, you you've just been eating it. a sandwich and you're sitting there, you kick back and you turn on the television and there's Kerrang! And you're, I was like... <laughs> like <laughs> Glued to my chair in kind of agony yes. and suffering, like Excellent. there's Eddie Vedder yeah. screaming at me, what like talking about talking yeah. about tragic yeah. things, oh, and really ripping his heart out. Yeah, you know, at like two p.m. Yeah, just in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> I think the sun's streaming through. I'm just sitting there, you know, like minding my own business, uh, put on some Kerrang! because that's what you do. And mm. I think you know, Cartoon Network's getting boring. There was Eddie Vedder singing Jeremy at me. Oh, mate! Wow. And I've got that. Gone on to, I'm one of the most loyal Pearl Jam fans. Everything, oh, love excellent. it. I can't They're wait so until cool. whatever they put out, it's just... I've got a, a similar thing like that. So I used to hate Nirvana. When, okay. I, when I was like at school and I just got into punk and got getting into hardcore and everyone's like, do you like grunge? Grunge is like really cool. And i like, yeah, I like a bit of Pearl Jam. Hated Soundgarden, hated Silverchair, if you'd call them grunge. And I hated Nirvana. I just couldn't, couldn't get into it, right, at all. And then fast forward 10, 15... 20 years later <laughs> I'm watching the Sound City documentary with like uh, Dave Grohl in it and I'm mm -hmm. watching it and I'm hearing they're like it starts off the engineer goes in sets up the studio Dave comes in and starts playing drums actually maybe he starts playing guitar anyway somewhere in it all you're hearing is drums all you're hearing is the best drum sound you've ever heard and I'm literally sitting there and I'm I'm listening to it in my studio on my big sexy speakers in prime position and I'm like fuck me that is the best drum sound and the best sounding drums and the best drummer that's like this is the best drums I've ever heard in my life and what fades in Nirvana yeah and I am just like you glued fixated I'm like this is the best music I've ever heard in my life and I heard it 20 years ago and I thought it was dog shit. <laughs> it's okay, just wait. Cause it... you'll, you'll get it, it's fine. Don't worry. You'll get it. You've got time. You'll get it. If you don't get it in this yeah. life, there's always a the next there's life. Don't the next worry, one. it's fine. Don't, there's no rush. You'll How get it when you get that? it. But I think maybe, this is going back to what we spoke about earlier, is like maybe I was so fixated on other, on finding this other music that I wanted to find more of that I just neglected everything else. Mm. Well, the conditions just have to be right. But yeah, but now I love Nirvana. Now I'm in my 30s going around saying to people, hey, do you like Nirvana? Aren't they the best band ever? And people are like, what, dude? What? Sorry, are we 13 again? What are you talking about? And I'm like, Nirvana, they're just the best band ever, you know? I'm a not-so-secret Linkin Park fan. There we go. That's I've got, the, that's I've got the, a weird don't relationship Don't worry, you'll with get them. it. You'll get it. You'll get it. <laughs> I probably will. You'll get it. What I really like about Linkin Park is... I can't say that I like their music, okay? I don't, when I hear Linkin Park, I'm like, I don't really like that. But I like what they're doing. I like what they're trying to do. Yeah. I like the whole idea of the electronic elements and what they're trying to fuse together. I didn't get it when it first came out. Mm. The only reason I start to get it now is I saw a video of a couple of them in the studio talking about why they now really enjoy doing film music and stuff like that. I thought that was really eye-opening. Mm. Um, another one was Queen. Absolutely hated them saw the film and thought that was fantastic i'm gonna watch them in the studio i watched a bunch of footage of them in the studio and i was like the geniuses okay. absolute geniuses like I'd, 
still don't love their music, but I love Queen. Okay. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? No, it's People fine. are like, what, what song do you want to listen to? And I'm like, I don't want to listen to them. I love them. Just talk about them. They're just yeah. excellent. I haven't got on that train yet. but Brilliant student mu- musician. Don't worry, I'll get it. Have you seen the movie? No, but I've got it on my computer ready, okay. ready to watch. If you can't be bothered to watch all that, just watch. Uh, there's like a 20-minute, two or two-part, two 20-minute things of them in the studio. Just watch that. Which studio? That, I can't remember. I think maybe Brian May's home studio. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but it's fantastic. Actually, no, there's some mm. old footage of them, and then there's Brian May talking about how they did it, and it's it, it made me love them. Seeing them working, seeing mm. them, mm. how they approach the craft how they design their music. I was like, this is undeniably incredible. But as a listener, I never really got that. Because mm. with art, as you know, the process and result are very different things to think about. Mm. Some art is only about the process because it's incredible and enjoyable. And it doesn't matter if you are the person making it or not, you can get as much from it. And some art is purely about the result. It doesn't matter how it's made. doesn't matter how many nervous breakdowns the artist had to get there all that matters is the end thing i think cage john cage is one of those people that showed us that like it can be about the process if it wants to you know i mean i mean eno and glass and even right Reich to some extent were like music is a gradual it can be a gradual process and that in itself can be enough to admire doesn't have to sound good if it's interesting and provocative and and evocative it's fine and I love that. I think mm. that's what art is. I think there's people who get confused between something being conceptual and being pretentious. They can't handle conceptual things, so they just call it pretentious. And there's a, a chasm between entertainment and art, I think. People will obviously disagree, but I think some art is entertainment and some art is definitely art. There's crossover and stuff, but some things are definitely just made to be entertainment. That's a really nice place to wrap up. Yeah. We'll probably have to do this again because Definitely. it sounds like we've got a lot more. Um, yeah, chats I mean, to be there was had. stuff we were talking about earlier that we should have mentioned in here that we forgot, like DPA mics things. and stuff. DPA mics. Yeah, we've got some more research to do there, though. So. Gear slot alert. Yeah, but if we do this in ten years' time, we'll probably dislike everything we like now and have a whole new bunch of things to talk about. Yeah. Okay, um, Anik Thapar. Yeah, Anik Tharpa. Tharpa. Anik Tharpa. Again. Thapar. Thapa. Thank you for spending some time with us. Oh, please. Thank you so much for having me and for chatting with me. It was great to chat to you as well. Coconut is a UK-based independent record label. For information about releases, videos, collaborations and more, head to turquoisecoconut.com or find us on Facebook. Turquoise Coconut. New music for curious ears.